James chapter 4, uh, well, and, and just to recap, if you hadn't been here, you can catch up online, our app, Facebook, Instagram, uh, any one of these places, our website, all of these, you know, Vimeo, YouTube to catch up. Week one, we talked about turning trouble into triumph. We're just going systematically through through the book of James. Week two, how to handle temptation. Week three, are you fooling yourself, James says. If you listen to the word of God or hear it and don't do what it says, you're only deceiving yourself or fooling yourself. Week four, we talked about that true faith shows no favoritism. We don't treat people differently because of their status or what they look like or how they dress, any of that stuff. Week five, how we live out our faith, living out our faith. Week six, Pastor Kelly preached on taming the tongue. And then two weeks ago, I preached on uh, true wisdom. So now James chapter four, beginning in verse one, I'm, I'm going to take a chunk of the, of the, of the um, chapter today. Uh, and I'm going to read verses one through 12. James says this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you don't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I mean, I wish James would be a little more direct, right? I mean, you kind of got to read between the lines a little bit, right? You adulterers. Here we go again, right? You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. James is like, let me reiterate. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit of God has placed within us is filled with envy? But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. Let me pause and say all of this, he's talking to the church. This is all, this is a letter to the church. You hear, don't criticize, don't judge, dear brothers and sisters. So it's not, you know, he's talking to the church here. Just want to remind you of that. If you criticize and judge each other inside the church, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job, I love this, is to obey the law, not to judge whether if it applies to you. I love that. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Come on, can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living true, active, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. I just ask as we continue through your word, through the book of James, that you would speak to us Give us fresh revelation of your word and who you are and the grace to apply to our lives. Help me, Holy Spirit, as I preach your word today to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, may you be glorified and Lord God, we be encouraged, equipped, challenged, convicted, and strengthened in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We know that fights and conflicts, uh, uh, even wars in our world is a sad reality of our world, right? Even with with peace treaties and, and world peace organizations and, and, and even the threat of nuclear weapons, right? We still see, even though it's not on the news, there's still war in Ukraine, right? I mean, there's still, we see it happening even today. But not only wars between nations, but we know there's fights between people on almost every level of life concerning almost everything. 
even amongst Christians, right? Even down to the Bible, there's fights and heated debates over certain doctrines of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those. I've been in more than I'd like to count in my life. Even over the Bible, we have fights and it's okay to disagree, right? I could disagree with my brother and sister and that's all right. But, but James is telling us we see there's, there's fights and quarreling all over the world, but obviously even in the church. But over things, even the things people fight about, I just was reminded of this. I watched a documentary one time and I looked it up while I was studying. Even, uh, some of y'all may know this, but, uh, Colonel Sanders, the founder of KFC, before he started KFC, he was a manager at a gas station in Kentucky. And there was a rival, it was a rural era, there's a rival gas station down the road, or I say down the road, not really down the road, miles away. So Colonel Sanders was putting, um, signs all over like the little town to promote his gas station. The rival guy started painting over their signs. One day, they caught him painting over the signs. So Colonel Sanders and two of his guys, two of them had guns, went out there to confront the guy. He gets off his sign. This is a true story. You can look it up. And they had a shootout, and one of the guys died over painting a sign for the gas station. Isn't that crazy? Over a gas station profit and painting. That's the kind of stuff... That, that just human beings, they fight over all kind of stuff. But again, it ain't just Colonel Sanders and those cats. It's us in here too, right? James wrote about the important matter of fighting and quarreling in this section of his letter. Now, the Bible tells us that there's at least one fight that's worth fighting. It's even good, right? 2 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight for the true faith. So some fighting's good. We want to fight against the enemy. We want to fight for the true faith. We want to fight for life, right? We've been doing it for 49 years. and Well, not me. I'm only 44, but a lot of people have, right? I mean, some of you literally have, are in here. So that's a great fight to fight, right? To have for, for life and, and for truth and for, for justice, all these things, right? But too often, instead of fighting against our true enemy for the true faith, we're fighting wars we were never meant to fight. And that's what James is addressing in this section. James explains that there are three fights going on in the world amongst us as believers and also how these fights can be stopped. So I'm going to present these three in question form. All three of them will be in question form. And I I want you to ask the Lord if you are engaged in one, if not all, of these fights right now. Then I'll give you three ways at the end how we can end these fights and even these wars. So number one, are you fighting with other believers? Are you currently fighting with other believers? I know I, this, I even prepared for one amen today, so it's all right. Because it's the truth of the word, right? You think whenever, whenever those, when they were, when they received this letter from James, I doubt there was any amens. Like, ooh, man, man, like he just, James is just right. And I mean, they would read these letters also in their church meetings. So in a sense, somebody probably was reading this or quote unquote preaching this and just like, man, James, chill out, man. But no, it was the truth, right? It was the truth of, of, of God's word. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. James 4.1, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? So he wasn't saying if, he knew there was quarrels and fights. See, quarrels and fights here in the Greek actually literally means battles and wars. That's what it means. James uses a military illustration to address the conflicts that were going on among the church members at the time. And it's not just in the book of James. We can see if you examine the early churches, the early church history, if you read just through the New Testament, you'll discover they had their fair share of disagreements, fights, and arguments. For example, members of the Corinthian church were competing with each other in public meetings, uh, and some were even suing each other in court. You remember Paul addressed that in Corinthians, not to sue one another, right? The Galatian believers were biting and devouring one another 
with bickering and strife, Galatians 6, uh, 5.15 says. Paul had to encourage his Ephesian, the Ephesian church, to cultivate spiritual unity. Even his beloved church in Philippi had problems because Paul had to address two women who could not get along with each other in Philippians chapter 4, right? So Paul mentioned several kinds of conflicts among the saints. We, we saw earlier, James chapter 1 and James 3, earlier in this series, we looked at uh, uh, James writing about some of these fights, fights over positions in the church, and people wanting to be teachers and leaders, right? See, when they would study in the Word of God, the result was not edification, and but strife and argument. And, and as I said that, it's still going on today. Instead of coming together in unity, what we do agree upon, we know there's all kinds of different denominations and everything and different, different doctrinal beliefs. Instead of finding something we disagree on and just going after that, why don't we find, there's a lot more that we agree on and find that and unify around that, amen? Instead of these little things that we don't agree on. But that was going on back then. See, selfish ambition ruled their meetings, not spiritual submission. And in some meetings today, it still happens. Selfish ambition instead of spiritual submission. Let's look at another example, James chapter 5. And actually, I'm going to focus on this right now, and then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to address it here because I'm not going to do a whole sermon on this part. I'm going to address it here, and then we'll move over. So we're still hitting every part of James. James 5, 1 and 4, he says, Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver has become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's army. See, he was addressing some rich people. These rich people he was addressing were landowners at the time who were exploiting their laborers. Their work was to, to harvest the fields, and they were either sharding them of their pay or just not paying them at all. And then in verse 6, he goes on to say that some of these rich landowners were even killing innocent people. That's another form of fighting, right? Employer to employee, sharding them of wages, or if you're an employee, sharding your 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 employer of, of hours. One of my friends used to call it, it's pencil whipping someone when you do that. When you shard them of, of when you're not, when you're riding the clock, so to speak, it's another way to say that, right? And that could be strife amongst employer and employees, right? And then again, I, I hit on this, but this is really, really comes down here, James 4, 11 and 12. We see what a big issue was going on, he addressed specifically. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, you're criticizing God's law. But if you're, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He has the power to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? See, the saints were speaking evil of one another and judging one another. Here again, we see the wrong use of the tongue. As Pastor Kelly preached on taming the tongue, we're seeing here in the book of James, he's addressing, y'all are criticizing and judging one another, which still happens in the church today, right? There's judgmentalness, there's, there's criticalness, right? So as Christians, we are to, yes, speak the truth in love, but not to speak evil in a spirit of, of rivalry or criticism, right? So just like we did, and I, I referenced this, just as we did, it's, we need to first examine our own lives and then try to help others. It goes back to Jesus saying, take the plank out of your own eye instead of trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, right? Examine yourself first. Because I noticed that. I've, I've been guilty where I'll start ranting about somebody, maybe to my wife, and then I'll maybe see a look on her face and just like, I'm like, what, I do that too, huh? 
And she's like, yep, you sure do. If we would stop, and, and, and by the way, husbands, let our wives, let you, the Lord use our wives, and vice versa, you'll realize that, like, man, the same thing, a lot of times the same thing you're critical of in somebody, you have at least some of that inside of you. And that's why you recognize it. Because you're dealing with it as well. So, right? So, look, we want to help our brothers and sisters, right? That's part of discipleship. That's part of, you know, but we need to examine ourselves first. And the difference trying to help somebody grow, disciple, keep them accountable, but not being critical and judgmental, right? Are y'all tracking with me? See, because in a lot of these situations, when we judge and criticize people, we usually don't know all the facts in these certain situations. And certainly, we never know the full motives of somebody's heart. We hear somebody say something, we see somebody do something, chances are we don't know the whole story, right? That's why, again, going back to Brother Francis, I love this quote. Brother Francis used to always say, if you're not an eyewitness, you're a false witness. So a lot of times we pass judgment on people and, 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 and we don't even know the whole story. And we're judging their motives. Oh, I know why they did that. I, I know why they're doing that. Like, you, you really don't. Because what does the Bible say? God looks on the outward appearance. I mean, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. We can judge people's motives by their actions and their words. And yes, and sometimes I get it, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But truly, we don't always know. So it's, it's, it's usually, anytime we're judging or criticizing, James makes it clear, we're not in a good place. To speak evil of a brother or sister and to judge them on the basis of partial evidence and possibly unkind motives is to sin against them and to sin against God. That's what James said. You're, you're actually judging God, his law, his word, when you judge other people. That's what James, that's not my words, that's James, right? So why do we fight with each other? We all belong to the same family, both here at Family Life Church and worldwide, the same family, the, 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 right, the body of Christ. We, we trust the same Savior and we feel with the same Holy Spirit. So why are we fighting, right? So before I move on, because my wife and I was having this conversation uh, this morning. Actually, I finished this message Thursday before the Supreme Court ruling came out. But my wife was just letting me know, because I'm really not on social media that much, uh, you know, but how she's like, man, there's, there's a, 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 a lady that, that she follows, that uh, she's a pastor's wife. Was, she came on and encouraged, even after this great victory of abortion ending, there's fighting amongst Christians. Because some Christians are saying, well, you're not posting about it. You're not saying anything about it. Others are saying, you're saying too much about it. You need to quiet. Man, in a time of great rejoicing, there's fighting going on. There's fighting going on about how much you should post or not post on social media. Really? I mean, is, this, is where we, we, this is where we landed in the church? Like, man, this is a great day to celebrate. Amen? It's a great time and a season to rejoice. But instead, some people choose to fight and to quarrel. This ought not be, church. So I hope I can challenge you today. And I love how the Lord does that, that, that prepared this message, on, finished it on Thursday, and then this, is, this broke on Friday. And, and here we see just a real-life illustration. Hey, listen, if somebody tries to engage you in fighting and arguing, especially something as awesome as abortion being abolished in our state and about really half our country, they figure 26 states at least will do away with it, right? Come on, let's rejoice, y'all. Let's not, let, let's not you know... Let's not, let's not find something to critique somebody else on. Amen? Are y'all, y'all, y'all tracking with me this morning? See, Jesus, so why, why do we, why do we fight against each other? James, I'm sorry, James answered the question by explaining the second war that's going on. And this is the root of it. Number two, are you fighting with yourself? Sometimes the, the, the hardest person to fight against, and it is, is yourself, right? You know, just me, myself, and I, all three of y'all can't get along most of the time, right? 
Are you fighting with yourself? James 4, 1 and 3. What does he say? What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? And then he answers with another rhetorical question. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Come on, somebody. See, the battle in the heart is helping cause the battle in the church. The battles in the heart is helping cause the battle. Because of selfishness and envy and ambition, James says, that's what's it's spilling over. Like Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the abundance of the heart, the person fights. Right? And that's what that's what's happening. That's what James has said is happening here. James 3:14, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition, look, in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? Verse 16, for wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and air evil of every kind. See, the essence of sin is ultimately selfishness. The essence of sin is selfishness. Let's go back to the Old Testament, to the beginning. Eve disobeyed God because she wanted to eat the tree and become wise like God. It's what she wanted, right? Abraham lied about his wife and he self, because he selfishly wanted to save his own life. Achan caused Israel to be defeated because he selfishly took some of the forbidden loot from the ruins of Jericho, right? These are all, they knew all three of them, it was forbidden. They, they shouldn't, right, Abraham shouldn't lie, all these things. But selfishness drove them to sin, and then there was consequence, because there was even consequences with other people. Selfish desires are dangerous things that lead to wrong actions. When you have selfish desires, they always tend to lead to wrong action. James 4, 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. That sounds pretty wrong, doesn't it? Scheming and killing, right? Yes. Right? Because of jealousy. You are jealous of what others have and you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Like he wasn't, he wasn't just saying this was little tiffs. He used military illustrations for people in the church. Because you don't have, they, and it might not be material things, as I mentioned earlier, right? Like Paul addressed the Corinthians, they were vying for positions in the church, leadership positions. I want to teach, I want to do that, I want to be on the platform, I want to whatever, whatever, right? We even see, you know, uh, the, the two brothers with Jesus was vying for a position in the kingdom. Can we sit, you know, right and left in your kingdom, right? It's been going on for years. James 4.3. No, actually, I just read that. Moving on. Also, when our... Uh, no, not that right. James 3. No, I didn't. I'm sorry. Selfish desires also lead to praying the wrong way. Selfish desires lead to, to sinful actions, but then lead to praying the wrong way when you're selfish. James addresses that too. You don't have, verse 3, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, here it is, you're praying, you're talking to God. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pre- pleasure. When our praying is wrong, then our whole life is wrong. People are like, yeah, but I've been praying about it. Well, that's cool, but are you praying with the right motives? Right? I just remembered, it just hit me years ago and a couple of presidents ago, uh, some, a Christian was on, on social media bashing the president, and one of, uh, one of my friends got on there, another believer, and said, hey, man, the Bible says that we should pray for those in authority, whether you agree with them or not. He said, I'll pray for them. I'll pray that, that somebody takes him out. I think that's a wrong prayer. What do you think? 
That's not the kind of prayer that God was telling us to pray, right? But that is. That, that's, people get so full of rage, even believers in hate and in disagreement and fighting, that they lose sight and they have wrong motives in their prayer. Someone said the purpose of prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. How are you praying? Are you praying for your will to be done in heaven or God's will to be done in earth? Right? I prayed that scripture this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I prayed the ripple prayer over me, my wife, my children, the staff, serve team, leaders, you as a church, our community and all, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should guide our prayers. Selfish living and selfish praying always lead to war. If there's war on the inside, there will ultimately be war on the outside. See, most people that are selfish live unhappy lives. Because they're always wanting something more or wanting something that somebody else has. And a lot of times those people think, man, if I would just get this, I'd be good. If I could just get that one thing, I'd be set. I wouldn't be struggling no more. I wouldn't be aggravated anymore. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have all these conflicts. But they don't realize the problem is not one more thing. It's that one thing that's in your, inside. It's your heart. It's a heart issue. When you're selfishness, it doesn't, it, 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 it's never going to cease unless you allow God to deal with your heart. James makes it clear that sin and selfishness is the reasons that we are at war with ourselves and consequently with each other. And now let's look at the final fight that we're engaged in. Some of you may be surprised with this. Number three, are you fighting with God? Are you fighting with God? Are you fighting with others, other believers? Are you fighting with yourself? And are you fighting with God? See, the root cause of every fight could be either selfishness or a fight with others or ourselves. It's either selfishness or rebellion against God. One of the two. See, at the beginning of creation, we see perfect harmony. God, Adam, and Eve. But sin came into the world, and this led to conflict, right? I mean, the first, the first, right after sin, here came the first argument and blame game. Adam, what did you do? Oh, it was that wife you gave me. Eve, what did you do? Oh, it was, it was, it was the snake. Somebody said the snake was going to blame somebody, but he didn't have a leg to stand on. So anyway, so. but seriously, right? We see right out the gate, we see sin and then we see conflict. We see argument, right? How does a believer fight against God? By being friendly with God's enemies. You fight against God when you're friends with God's enemies. James names all three of these, right? The world, number one. First, the world, James 4.4. 4. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? How do you fight against God? When you are a friend with the world. When you allow, take part in, indulge in, and okay with the things of the world. I say it again, and he wanted to make it clear. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And that's why there's no like, you can't play the middle with God. There's no like, oh yeah, I, I come to church, I do the church thing, but then I go out and live a selfish, sinful life. It don't work that way. Oh, yeah, me and God are, when people say that to me, yeah, me and God are cool, I'm like, no, y'all not. Just, just that terminology, me and God are cool, tells me y'all are not cool. Because you think you can come to church, maybe even tip God a little bit, put a little money in the tithe box, you know, do the, the church thing and then go on and live the rest of your life and be indulged in the world and sin. And James makes it clear. Does your Bible say the same thing? If you're a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Period, right? By the world, James means human societies apart from God. And can't we see the whole world system and things around it in this society is anti-Christ and anti-God. Isn't that right? And that's why even with this major shift and this major breakthrough, right, it's just like, man, they're saying that, that, that it's, it's a hateful thing to end murder. 
How twisted is that? But let me pause and say that because every time I think of those things and hear those things, I get worked up. But let me say this again. The Lord reminded me, and I looked up the scripture again this morning. It's in Isaiah. When we see, because you're going to hear it, right? You're going to hear, you've seen it already, right? You're seeing that, that we're being hateful, we're being insensitive, out of touch, all kind of crazy stuff. But remember this. In Isaiah, it says, woe to you or sorrow to the one who calls good evil and evil good. Isaiah penned that thousands of years ago, and it's still happening today. And it's going to get worse, right? What the Bible calls good, we're going to be accused of being evil and vice versa. What's evil is called a choice or health care, right? And it's murder, right? So just remember that. If you're like me and when you read that, you get riled up. How many of y'all, you know, just I'll get riled up and be like, are you kidding me? This is not health care. This is murder. This is. And then I remember, it's, the law reminded me, they'll call good evil and evil good. So it shouldn't be a surprise to the saints. Again, if we're rooted back in the word of God, if we're grounded in the word, it helps us to understand that, you know what, this has been prophesied thousands of years ago. And if it was happening in Isaiah's day, because he was speaking to Judah at the time, it just increased and got worse over the last however many thousands of years, right? As Brother Jim Darnell, one of our overseers say, we're seeing the effects of compound sin, right? And that's what's happening. We're seeing the effects of compound sin. So, right? So that's the world. You see in the, you're seeing the results of the world. Again, Abraham, another example. Abraham was the friend of God. Lot was the friend of the world. Lot ended up in a war, and Abraham had to rescue him. You can read about that in Genesis 14. See, how does a Christian get involved in the world? I mentioned this, but I want to hit on it again quickly. Christians get involved in the world gradually, and the scripture lays it out. First, there's a friendship with the world, James 4, 4, which results in being corrupted by the world, James 1, 27, so that our lives meet the approval of the world, and then friendship leads to loving the world, 1 John 2, and it makes us easy, makes it easy to conform to the world, Romans 12. It's a gradual process. Most times, Christians are just going to like, you know what? I'm going to just dive into sin today. Seems like a good day. No, it's usually a gradual thing. It's a little bit, a little bit, right? Nobody just like, oh, man, I fell into sin. Nobody just falls into sin. You don't just trip over and in, in, into sin. It's a gradual, and you can, you can, it's all laid out right there in the Scriptures, all the New Testament Scriptures, James, 1 John, and, and Romans. James compares friendship with the world to adultery because as believers, we're in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? And covenants are not meant to be broken. My wife and I, we're in a covenant. We've been married over 18 years, right? And we made a covenant. Yeah, come on, somebody. Amen. I'm a blessed man. And we made a covenant, right? We, we, we said vows. Every time I do a wedding, right? As a young couple in here, I married just a few weeks ago. What, about a month ago now, right? About a month ago, right? And we talked about that. And went through pre-marriage counseling and, and we always talk about covenant, right? And so he uses the word adultery. See, the Jewish Christians would read who read this letter, totally understood what James meant with this picture of spiritual adultery because the prophets Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Hosea used it in rebuking Israel for their sins because they were adopting sinful ways from other nations and worshiping other gods. They were committing spiritual adultery against God. You'll see it. Read through the Old Testament. God always likens Sin, or in that case, idol worship to adultery. See, the world is the enemy of God, and whoever wants to be a friend of God cannot, or a friend of the world cannot be a friend of God. So just remember, you can't have it both. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. you got to be all in. 
The second enemy James names is the flesh. James 4.1. Now, he doesn't say that actual word here, but you can see it, and I'll show you. What it's causing, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from, and really it's laid out, evil desires at war within you. So evil desires, when you look through the Bible, is called the flesh or sinful, your sinful nature. The flesh is the old nature that we inherited from Adam, which is prone to sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, we inherited that sinful nature. That's why we're all born into sin. See, the flesh is not the body. Sometimes we get that confused. The body is not sinful. The body's neutral, right? God gave us a body to live on this earth in, right? The spirit may use the body to glorify God, or the flesh may use the body to indulge in sin. The flesh is your sinful nature inside of of your body. See, when a person surrenders to Christ, gets born again, they receive a new nature, but the old nature is not automatically removed. That's the sanctification process, right? Because of this, there's a battle going on, and we see that right there. Some people think that, oh, no, I'm done with that. I got saved. Well, Paul makes it clear in Galatians 5, 17, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know it's true. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Again, this is the Apostle Paul right into the Galatian church. He's saying, listen, there's this constant battle going on inside of us. There's still the sinful nature, and then there's the spirit of the living God after we get born again, our new nature that's constantly going against us. I love, I don't want to just pass over that. I love, it says, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. How many people you hear have used the word, well, God knows my heart. Well, God knows my heart. I had good intentions. I messed up, but God knows my heart. The Bible says you're not free to carry out your good intentions if it's sin. You don't get a pass because you had good intentions. And by the way, I wouldn't use that line if I was you. God knows my heart. Because every time God talks about a heart, like in the Old Testament and New Testament, he says, the heart's deceitfully wicked. So when he addresses our heart apart from him, it's usually never a good thing. So just FYI, I wouldn't use that anymore. If you mess up, say I'm sorry, repent, and ask the Lord to help you do better. Amen? See, living for the flesh also grieves the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. Right? James 4, 5. What do you think the scriptures mean when it say, says that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? See, just as the world is the enemy of God the Father, so the flesh is the enemy of, of God the Holy Spirit. Right? See, like, as a husband and wife, there's a holy, loving jealousy. Like, I'm not jealous of my wife if she goes off and hangs out with friends, but there's a, a jealousy, right? If, 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 and if you should have a, a holy jealousy of your spouse, Right? That, that I'm, I'm, I'm a one-woman man and vice versa, right? So it's the same thing. The Holy Spirit in us is the same thing. The Spirit within us jealously guards our relationship to God, and the Spirit is grieved when we sin against God's love. So living to please the sinful nature is to declare war against God. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Sometimes we justify our sin and say, oh, it's just a little hiccup. It's just a little. But, you know, the Bible says you're declaring war against God when you willingly sin. You ever stopped and thought about that? That's what James is warning us. Look what Romans 8, 17 says. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. Again, y'all, this, we're talking about this is all out war we're talking about. And so we could be God's friend or we can begin to be his enemy again if we live in the world. And the third enemy, of course, we know is the devil. James 4, 6, and 7. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. For the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourself before God, resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. He shows us, obviously, a full-on enemy is the devil. See, the world is in conflict with the Father. The flesh is in fight, fighting with, with the Holy Spirit, and the devil opposes the Son of God. See, pride is Satan's great sin. It's one of the chief weapons in his warfare against the saints and the Savior. Amen? See, God wants us to be humble, but Satan wants us to be proud. It was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven. God wants us to depend on his grace. The devil wants us to depend on ourselves. He enjoys inflating the ego and encouraging the believer to do it his own way. He's always encouraging us to, to, to be prideful and to walk in pride. And the very blessing and gifts and talents and anointing that, that God has placed in our lives can work against us and we can inflate our ego. Man, I read this. I even sent it to my wife when I was studying. This is a hard one, but man, there's a lot of truth in it. Not in every church, not all, but I believe this is truth. Someone said, one of the problems in our churches today is that we have too many celebrities and not enough servants. Come on, somebody. In a lot of cases, that's true. Even in the Christian world, we want to be famous and be a celebrity instead of being humble and being a servant. Listen, if you, if you look back, Pastor Todd, I remember, showed me that. If you look back, especially men of God, women of God, I'm not, and I'm, anybody that has fallen into some sin, you could always see pride in their life first. There's always some pride or arrogance that they're walking in before they fall into some immorality or ethical sin or financial sin. There's always this pride because pride says, I'm not going to get caught. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? So much better to walk in humility. And there's nothing we can be proud of, right? Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I pray this daily. I prayed this this morning, church, at my house. Every Sunday morning before I get up here to preach, I always pray this. Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. But I know I can do all things through you, Lord Jesus, who gives me strength. I just remind myself. I'm praying that to remind myself that, Lord, if I, if I get up without the Lord's help, I'm just going to flop, right? I, I mean, it's, it's, I, heard a, I heard a story one time of a young preacher that walked up into the stage and he was real prideful and boastful and, and he and he got up and he preached and it just it bombed and then he came back down with his head hung low and, and just and there was an old wise elder in the church and he said young man if you would have walked up the way you walked down that would have went a lot different amen and that's true for all of us right we need to stay humble and i know like anybody right pride when somebody says attaboy we need to be encouraged but you got to be careful don't let the enemy puff you up with pride amen so the three enemies that want to turn us away from God is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Christ has delivered us from them, but they still attack, right? So as we close today, I want to show you how we can become or overcome them and remain friends of God. James gives us three instructions to follow. One, simply put, in James 4, 7, I'm going to read in the New King James because it's more accurate as I studied out more translation. It says humble and new living, but it says, therefore, submit to God. Right, we gotta first of all submit to God. We gotta surrender to Him and then submit to His authority. I love this. The word submit in the original Greek is a military term that means get into your proper rank. That's what submission means. Look at it this way. Those of you military, how many military we have in here, veterans? Come on, let's give them a round of applause, by the way. Thank y'all. I've never been in the military, but you know that if a private starts acting like a general, there's gonna be trouble, right? He better, he better fall, right, Mr. Herman? He better fall, fall in rank, right? fall in line, right? See, unconditional surrender is the only way to complete victory, church. This explains why people who haven't surrendered cannot live their lives with the, themselves or other people. Because they're not fully surrendered and submitted to the rank and file of God. Ephesians 4.27, Paul warns us not to give a place for the devil. 
See, Satan needs a foothold in our lives to fight against us, and we give him that foothold. The way to resist the devil is to submit to God. That's why it says it first. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Some people have those backers. They try to resist the devil without surrendering to God and submitting to him. You must submit to him first, right? Again, if you're in the military and you're out of rank and you just go ahead of the rest of your, your platoon or whatever and you're by yourself, it ain't looking good for you. It'd be better to stay in rank, follow the, the orders of your superiors. You're going to have a better chance of winning the battle. Amen? So submit to God first, surrender, and then resist the devil. Next, James tells us to draw near to God. How do you do this? And I address this in communion, but let's go deeper. I've been talking about it by confessing and really repenting of our sins and asking God to cleanse us. Look what it says in James 4, 8, 9. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Remember, he's talking to the church here, not lost sinners. He's saying there's people sinning in the church. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. The Greek word translated purify means to make chaste. In other words, like staying pure before you get married or, uh, uh, you know, when you're married, staying out of adultery. That's the word. It parallels the idea of spiritual adultery. In, in verse 4. So he's saying that you've committed. He said, you adulterers, you're doing this because you're divided. Here's how you get this right. Purify yourself. Repent of your sin and let there only be one relationship that you have, and that's your covenant relationship with God. Dr. A.W. Tozer wrote in one of his books that nearness is like likeness. So the more we're like God, the nearer we are to him. The only way to be like God is to be holy and to be pure, right? So that's how we resist the enemy. That's how we stop these battles within, with others, with God, is we would submit to God, we surrender, and then we ask him to cleanse us, right? You know, for example, you know, I've been, I've been you know, even though it's the off-season, you know, you've heard me talk about my dog lately. I've used examples of him. I've, I've used him as an illustration. So, you know, I've been, I've been working my side in the evenings. How many of y'all know at 7 o'clock it's still hot outside, right? I wait till the evenings to go and work him across the street, the pond and stuff. If I'm sitting outside with my dog, and even, and he does, he'll come right next to me sometimes, jump on me, wants to lick me and all that kind of stuff. You know, even though my dog's sitting right next to me and my wife's 50 feet away inside the house in the kitchen, I'm still nearer to my wife because we're more like each other. Me and my dog have very little in common, except our love for hunting ducks together. That's about it, right? But right, isn't that true? It, it's not a proximity thing. It's where we're at. We're we're like each other. We're, we're like-minded. One, we're both human, but we're like-minded. We both love each other. We love the Lord. So that's what it means. You draw near to God by becoming like God, being pure, being holy. See, God graciously draws near to us when we deal with the sin in our lives. Remember, that keeps him as a distance. The Bible says it's your sin that has separated you from God. So if you want to draw close to God, you got to get rid of the sin in your life. And last thing is we must humble ourselves before God. As I referenced already, James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. See, it's impossible to submit outwardly without being humble inwardly. You got to submit outwardly and be humbled inwardly. Proverbs 6 tells us that God hates sin. So we sometimes have the tendency to treat sin lightly. But sin is serious. And one mark of true humility is facing the seriousness of sin and dealing with it, Right? Some people pray, man, Lord, humble me. Listen, that's a dangerous prayer to pray. The Bible says to humble yourself. He'll humble you, but it's way, I would rather humble myself than God humbling me. And David knew this when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, 
and had her husband killed. He says this in, in Psalm 51, 16 and 17. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So as we close, as we wrap it up, if we obey these three instructions, then God will draw near, he will cleanse us, he will forgive us, and the wars will cease. We will not be at war with God. We will not be at war with others. And this means ultimately we won't be at war with ourselves. So as we close, why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Let's, let me ask you a question. Let's just, I do this so you can take inventory. And so you just be focused. I just encourage nobody to move around or get up or anything. Have you repented of your sin? This morning I, I gave you a preview and, 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 and you know, to, to if there's any sin in your life. Well, first of all, have you ever repented of your sin in the first place? And, and gave your life to Christ, right? We'll always be an enemy of God if we're not born again, if we're not saved. You must be born again. We took communion to remember that again, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. If you say, Brandon, I'm not sure if I'm right with God, if I die today, where I'd spend eternity. But I want to be sure. If that's you, just lift up your hand. Say, man, I need to get right. I need to repent of my sins. I see your hand, ma'am, in the back. Anybody else? Come on, lift your hand high. Be bold for the Lord. No matter if people are looking around or not, I see your hand. Anybody else? When the Bible says, sir, I see your hand. Amen. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Ma'am, I see your hand. And we must repent. So I'm going to just lead you in a simple prayer of faith. Let's just pray together, even as a family. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Lord, I repent of my sin. And I turn to you. I surrendered to you, Lord, and I submit to your authority today. I humble myself before you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, can we celebrate with these this morning? Amen. If you feel if you if you made a decision for the first time, first time in a long time, the connection card in the chair in front of you or online. Uh, you can fill that out. We'll give you a, a Bible and help you out. Why don't you stand up and, and for the rest of us, come on, is there anything who 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 are you fighting against? Are you, are you fighting against others? Maybe in your own family. Maybe your own physical family or in your church. Maybe you're fighting against yourself. There's these evil desires, the sinful nature that's winning out. Or are you even fighting against God? Do you have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom? Come on, can we pray and ask the Lord to help us with all of these right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just repent. Come on, if you need to repent of any sin, as a believer now, if there's any sin in your life you need to repent of, and, and maybe even the repenting of fighting with people. And, and come on, let's just ask him right now. Father, would you forgive us today in the name of Jesus, Lord? We just ask that we repent, we purify our, our hearts, our hands. Would you purify us, wash us clean, Lord, in the blood that we remembered again this morning, Lord. I pray that we would not have divided, divided loyalty to the world and to you, but that we would have a pure, unadulterated relationship with you, that our hearts and our desires be to serve you and to seek you all the days in our lives. Lord, I pray that the fighting and the wars and the quarreling amongst God's people would cease and that we would be in unity because your word says, Lord God, in Psalms, how beautiful and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. Help us to be unified with you, Holy Spirit, and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be down here to pray with you. If not, God bless you. Have a wonderful day.